Welcome to episode 318 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Friday, March 11th. I'm your host, Paul Sporer, joined by Eno Sayers, who's still out in Arizona having a great time. Eno, how's it going, man? Today, I must speak about baseball in a podcast. I must speak about baseball with a baseball player. I must go to a conference where they are talking about baseball. And then I must go to an event that I'm holding tonight in Arizona uh, where we will drink and talk about baseball. Uh, life is pretty good. I was just, I was, that sounds like a brutal day, man. <laughs> it's so tough. It's such an awful day. No, it's actually going to be a great day. Um, going to have a little bit of a baseball-focused day, but then taking a little bit of a break. Going to go see a comedy show tonight. The president's in town to see me, which I thought was weird, but mm-hmm. I appreciate him coming by. He's going to be here at 1 o'clock today and make the uh, traffic situation in Austin a living nightmare. And then tomorrow, I got a South by Southwest panel with uh, Jonah Carey, Justine Siegel, and Ed Fang. That's so, awesome. What's the, what's the title of it? We are talking about, well, so it's a little bit uh, NSFW. It's called Cluster Luck or Cluster Beep. Um, uh, and it's talking about uh, randomness and luck in baseball. Cool. And, uh, you know, Jonas talked a lot about it in his work. Ed Fang has, has done a lot of work with the with the thing called cluster luck, which kind of examines how things, you know, how teams cluster their hits. And, you know, when teams are unlucky or when teams are lucky, remember that season that St. Louis had like a 450 uh, average with runners in scoring position? That would be the, the, the high end of cluster luck. And then, uh, so yeah, we're going to just gonna talk about that, you know, kind of talk about KC and if they're kind of cracking the code to luck with their high contact uh, great defense and bullpen model, all sorts of stuff like that. So that'll be at, I think, awesome. 1230 tomorrow here in Austin. Really excited for that. But I got to go get my badge at some point, and that Obama thing is going to make it a bit of a nightmare. So <laughs> we had to get podcasting because you do have that busy day. As I mentioned on our Wednesday show, we're going to be talking – actually, was it Monday or Wednesday? I can't remember. Either way, it was earlier this week. Uh, we're going to be talking about your visits to camps. You've been visiting a lot of different camps. We're going to just get some of your stories that you've uh, had at those four camps, but also talk about your tout mixed team, which we briefly mentioned at the end of last week's episode. And everyone's wondering if you threw a purposeful curveball there because you mentioned a couple players that you might take and you went a completely different route. So we'll definitely get into that later. As always, please follow us on Twitter at Spore at Eno Saris, E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. I've been leaving you guys alone for a little bit, but uh, and you guys are still killing it. Putting the putting the reviews out there, we're a five star for 384 reviews, 343 of which are five star reviews. Please leave a comment. Let us know what you think. Uh, we greatly appreciate that on iTunes, so that we can get to the very top of the rankings and feel like we're super important. Um, but let's just dive into it. You know, I'm I'm very excited to hear some of the things that you've uncovered at these various camps. By the way, you mentioned. Uh, Sabre seminar has obviously uh, been going on the, the Sabre analytics panel and you got a chance to talk to Dallas Braden and it looked like you guys were having a great time geeking out there. I believe you're taking pic- pictures of his grips. Give us a, a brief moment on how that went before we dive into Rocky's camp. It was really cool. The panel was about players and hitting and pitching analytics and sort of, you know, what, what this, this modern state of the game is and sort of, you know, what the player's take on it was. So they put me in between two players, which, you know, some people might have seen as more hostile, but I was like, hey, this is this is my life right here. So, you know, I, I one of the things that I tried to say and that sort of came out of it, it, it did, it, we did sort of come to, you know, you don't usually come to conclusions on panels like that, but we did come to some interesting areas of, uh, of thought. And one of them was that I, I said that, you know, Players shouldn't see these things as a as a as only a tool for the front offices for them to to look at at players and, and decide who's good and who's bad to sort of evaluate players. Players should also look at this research and think about how they can use it to better perform themselves and also how to better age and and what best practices are. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of actually kind of the stuff that I'm getting at with the players. That's that's I'm talking to them about changes in performance and changes in in analytics and you know what's sustainable and the mechanical reasons for that and basically trying to link mechanics to analytics and um, they like that but you know players are used to seeing more small sample stuff advanced scouting type stuff and 
those things I think are not as useful to the front offices. So there's kind of a disconnect there where the front offices are thinking in big samples and the players are thinking in small samples. And I do think that there is uh, some opportunity to be had in between the two. And I've talked to a couple of people in baseball about this, where we should be pushing the samples a little bit and looking for things that uh, sort of lie in between the big sample and the small sample. And that's, uh, I think, the kind of stuff that can come out of a collaborative process that like the Pirates have, for example, uh, where Dan Fox is in the clubhouse talking to the players and uh, you know has his uh, has created a process that sort of includes the players. So um, that was uh, that was a fun thing. Then afterwards, I, I have a piece that's uh, that I keep. Uh, I I'm trying to decide when exactly to publish it, and I'm trying to gather as much as I can about it. But um, uh, I've got a really cool piece coming up next week. I'm really excited for it. That and sounds great. Dallas Braden modeled a pitch for me, showed me the grip, and then modeled the release and uh, gave me a couple quotes after that at the end. So and then there were people taking pictures of, of me taking pictures of Dallas Braden. So that was yeah, that a was meta moment to finish off. <laughs> that was floating around Twitter. That looked, that looked great. Um, I, I think that's really fascinating. Is there going to be any podcast or video of the seminars online i think they've done that in the past before but it doesn't usually come out for a little bit later do you have any any knowledge of that yeah i know they're recording it and i did talk to um, a person at saber about you know even if they don't release the whole thing because they want people to come they should release uh you know snippets exactly put out at least chunks of it that would be i think that would be a fun way to sort of get people interested in coming while also um you know, not not giving up the goods completely, I guess. I, I, th- I think that they put a lot of them up. And again, it might be later so that, you know, um, you know, they're not getting it as soon as you were there. And it's it's like you you don't have to go. But I do feel like they have, at least in the past, put up um, a good number of, of podcasts of the panels. Because I remember listening to them driving to different uh, drafts out, out of town. I got a couple that I go to in Houston. And I remember listening to the Sabre Analytics Conference panels couple different times so hopefully that's the case again this year a lot of great baseball stuff going on just kind of across the country right now sloan analytics conference is going on uh, up in boston you got saber analytics conference in phoenix you got south by southwest sports here in austin it's a crazy month a lot of great fun but you've been hitting the camps and that's what's been really interesting i think for you to get in there and kind of it's spring training for you as well are you are you working on, are you working on any new questions this this year <laughs> i gotta get a new question tracker for that eno's working on <laughs> the best shape of my life in terms of questions <laughs> um no i uh i guess this year i have a couple more um i have a couple sort of survey type pieces so i i do have a couple ideas going into the year i don't know that i'm gonna be here long enough and go to enough camps to get them done now. But I do have some wrinkles this year where I'm kind of approaching a question and asking a bunch of players their opinion as opposed to um, necessarily uh, focusing on one player all the time. Well, I've I've actually moved you up my draft board, and I got you right behind Jason Stark this year. So, you know, (laughs) I see a little bit of regression from Stark this year, and I think you're on the come-up, so... If I get in a draft, my, my uh, baseball writer draft, I think I'm going to take you over Jason Stark. And I'm going to be honest with you, a couple years ago, I couldn't have said that, you know. But you're you're on the rise. And so, uh, I'll, don't worry, guys. I'll give you all the results of my fantasy baseball draft. <laughs> wonder how many people are taking that seriously. Anyway, no, let's talk about spe- some specifics. Let's start with the Rockies camp. You've checked them out. They're always a fascinating team, um, you know, just to kind of think about to write about, to analyze because of that unique park and, and the, the craziness that it presents them. It's just a fascinating club in general, and they've also got plenty of interesting players. What were some of the things that you learned at Rockies camp? I was there for a little bit and talked to Adam Ottavino and Charlie Blackman a little bit about the actual length of spring training. There was a piece I did for ESPN about whether or not uh, spring training was too short, I mean too long. And... Um, you know, Charlie Blackman said that, you know, transitioning from crushing weights to being a baseball player does take a little bit of time, even for a position player. Because traditionally, people think that position players need about two weeks, and, and it's because of the starting pitchers that, that, everyone's, uh, that everyone's here for six weeks. 
And um, so he was talking about how, like, you know, going from weightlifting to playing baseball, you're inevitably going to have some tweaks here or there. And the spring allows you to rest that tweak, not push it, not turn it into an injury and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I think uh, I think that there's uh, uh, something to that. And uh, even Adam, Adam Adovino, who thought that it was a starting pitcher's fault, uh, thought that um, that uh, spring training was was not you know too bad. He also said you know they make too much money off of this. There's no way that they're that, that that's they're gonna... the thing. They're not going to. Co- I'm looking at some of these crowds and it seems like they're getting even bigger. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe they're just staying the same. But they're... no, no. The Cubs. The Cubs uh, broke a record with fifteen hundred three hundred thirty one people. Do- doesn't surprise me. I mean, like I said, I just I keep looking at them and I'm like, these these are really strong crowds uh, for spring training. By the way, how do you feel about spring training night games? Did we already talk about this? I don't know. They they seem weird to me. They look weird. I feel like spring training games should always be in the day. Do you have a, a, an opinion on that? I think it could be shorter. I talked to Kyle Hendricks in Cubs camp and he said that basically they have their throwing program given to them and it's synced to the length of spring training. So if you just sent them a different throwing program, they could come in and throw, if they could throw three or four innings in their first start, then they can ramp up, you know, and uh, then it wouldn't have to be so long. You know, Joe Madden said uh, for evaluation purposes, I don't need spring to be this long. Because really, you shouldn't be using spring training to to make your decisions. Precisely, that, so, th- those numbers are are you know uh, unstable anyway as as a as a uh, trusty meter. So I, I totally agree with you there. So the you know the thing the thing that I would say is that if you could make it four weeks, which is not a drastic change. I mean the the the, the hitters are sort of used to that number anyway. And you just sort of uh, changed um, the maybe basically the hitters uh, uh, come in when the pitchers come in now, but the pitchers come in a couple of weeks ahead of, of uh, where they are usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you would have four weeks and the season would start a little bit early for the cold weather climates, but with some scheduling, you could really do something about that. But um, if you could start the season even a week or you know, 10 days earlier, you know, in March sometime, then you don't have to have a one game wildcard playoff. You know, even, even if you take five days off, you can, at the end of the year, turn something into a three game wildcard yeah. series. Anything is better than one, I think. So well, in, and in that's, terms of that's, getting that's, the best teams, especially the one gamers are so fun from a fan standpoint, but in terms of trying to, you know, really get the best teams into the I next know, round. I, they're just one game. If, if you know, you can get three innings in, and all of a sudden it's seven to nothing, and it's then over. it's not so much mud fun right. after that. It's, yeah, so. it's virtually over at that point. But uh, you know, I, I I think also that would solve some of the money issues because if you tell teams like we're going to have three more postseason games, um, most likely or whatever more, then that can bring back some of the leftover uh, spring training num- the numbers that they lose. So I don't know. That's it seems possible after talking to players, but um, in terms of like what they said mechanically, it's more interesting for fantasy. Um, Charlie Blackman said that instead of coming in overweight and being more of a weightlifter, he said he worked mostly on running. Okay. So, um, what, do you th- th- what do you think about him, by the way? Charlie Blackman is somebody that when I look at him, I can't see how he's that different from, from AJ Pollock, yet he goes a decent bit away from AJ Pollock. And as much as I do like Pollock, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back. I feel like I didn't peg the breakout to be that high last year, but he was definitely somebody I was on and benefited from his huge breakout. I can't really see the split between these two that has them 20 picks apart in the NFBC. Am I crazy there? What do you think of Blackman? Yeah, I mean, I guess people are a little bit afraid of the splits, and uh, he does get a Babbitt boost at home. Yeah, but, but, but he still plays there. He's not, I mean, if yeah. he was leaving Colorado, I guess, I guess there's some concern that he might get traded since they have been moving guys, and Charlie Blackman's going to be 29 this year. But Carlos Gonzalez is obviously the has to be there. first, right? Yeah. So, I mean, and I don't think you can play to, like, unless somebody is so, you know, really legitimately being talked about being traded. You know, if, if you want to bump down cargo because of that, I can understand that a little bit. 
but we haven't really heard many rumors about Blackman. They did already trade Dickerson. I don't know. He's just been so good. He, he's not that bad against lefties. Um, he, he's he's above average for the lefty versus lefty situation, um, which I think is like a 660 OPS. That's what lefties versus lefties do globally. And he's at 729, Blackman is. The power's there for a decent amount of homers, 19 and 17 the last two years. And then the speed, even if he goes back to the 28 that he had in 2014, think that that's still a really great player i don't know i i, I just really like charlie blackman and i'm i, I don't know if i want to overpay for pollock when i can get blackman like i said around plus later yeah i i agree with you and i i'm actually as far as spring training proclamations go i like to hear him that say that he's focusing on his legs because i think in terms of power he's always going to be sort of a league average guy yeah. he's going to hit you you know 15 to 20 just depending on you know how many get over the wall and that's just who he is. I think that his spray is is designed to get on base and have a high batting average on balls of play and um, and uh, have a nice batting average. So those two things seem pretty stable to me. They've been there throughout his career in the minor leagues and the major leagues and college. So that stuff is there. What's a little bit surprising about what he's done the last couple of years has been the stolen bases. I mean, 43 at 29 years old or 28 last year. Yeah, that was huge. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's a lot of stolen bases. It's more than, you know, his minor league career seems to have predicted. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it goes a little bit to, I don't know, I don't want to speak out of turn out of, you know, something you might still be working on. But you, you were pointing out that sometimes guys um, don't seem like volume base stealers but have the speed when they first come into the league. Precisely. And they have to learn how to steal bases. And it seems like he really did that. And now he's focusing I'm retaining that speed into his age and, and, and staying on top of it. So if, if he really has been focusing on running speed and, and staying on top of that, then maybe the projections for 30 stolen bases are going to be a little bit light. I still think because of age, you want to pay for 30 stolen bases, but you know, maybe you're going to get 36, 38, something like that. And that would be every little stolen bases, you know, brings him higher up in the rankings. And if you think about it, if he has 36 stolen bases and 15, Home runs with the 280 average, over 50 combined home runs and stolen bases. There's not going to be a lot of people up there. No, there there, there really isn't. So I I think he's he's one of those guys that is, you know still going plenty early. Charlie Blackman's the 35th pick off the board, but I think he, he's actually a value at at that slot. I'd definitely take him there and and be happy about it. By the way, I'm still working on that st- stolen base uh, research to kind of see what I can find because I think a lot of people are down on some other guys who didn't necessarily run when they first got in the league and they could be surprised in these next coming in these upcoming years including somebody like Jock Peterson who we didn't see run very well at all last year only 4 for 11 but he's shown a lot of speed in the minors honestly he needs to get his hitting right before he even worries about running but I still think that he's going to run let's jump over to Padres camp and I believe you were you got a chance to uh, at least talk learn about maybe even talk to Tyson Ross would you would, would you pull there I really needed to talk to um, him about his cutter usage and whether or not his added cutter usage last year led to a lower swing strike rate on the slider, if there was anything that he noticed while he was throwing. And he didn't think so. And one of the main things I wanted to ask him was whether or not, you know, Zach Greinke once told me that using a cutter and a slider at the same time made both pitches worse. Oh, interesting. so he said that basically they morphed into each other. Okay. I was going to say, did he say why? So they started to blend and there was no uh, uniqueness to the slider? Yeah. That, um, well, that's what Greinke was saying was that it basically made his slider flatter and his cutter deeper so that yeah. you basically kind of had this one pitch. Uh, you know, I looked in the numbers and I couldn't find that in Tyson Ross. I, knew, I sort of anticipated the answer, which was he didn't think that was a problem. It was a it, the cutter was a pitch he'd thrown in the past, and when I asked him if it gave uh, hitters a a more predictable band of velocities and movements, you know, if that's if that was the problem, he said he didn't think so either, and that the cutter itself gave gave um, him more of a, a weapon against lefties because the cutter doesn't dive into that lefty happy zone low and in, and it and it stays up in their hands. You know, and they think maybe it's going to be a back foot slider, but then it, it sort of jumps up on them. So 
I think that uh, it might, you know, he talked about throwing the change up again. He's talked about throwing the change up every year since he was in, in Oakland. So I don't believe him on that one anymore. <laughs> and uh, I think the cutter is going to be his way out. And I think that some of the, what happened last year was he is a little bit of predictable. So I think the cutter is a good thing. It's another wrinkle. And then on top of that, his infield defense was terrible. Yes. And he had like a 60% ground ball rate. And he had like a 340 BABIP. And he should have had like a 280 BABIP because of, that's what you normally see with a 60% ground ball rate. That's an elite ground ball rate. So. That's exactly what I was going to point out. And I don't think it's getting enough run that Alexi Ramirez is out there. And he's a quality defender. He's going to stabilize that shortstop position. Something they didn't have last year. And I think it's going to benefit Ross quite a bit. I think it's going to help Andrew Kashner as well. I'm kind of excited about some of these San Diego guys. I think it could even help somebody like James Shields, who still has plenty of talent. I know he had kind of a weird season last year, but I wouldn't forget about those Padres pitchers. I know that Petco isn't playing the way it used to, and maybe that's having some folks scared off, but it's not It's not Coors all of a sudden. And, you know, I know that the, the park factors were up. Maybe it was just because the pitchers were kind of sucking. Because all you know, a lot of their pitchers had home run issues. Maybe when they kind of get themselves back on track, the park will, you know, the park factors will drop because they'll stop allowing so many home runs. So Ross is someone I really like. Kashner, I have a really tough time quitting. So I'll be in on both of those guys. Let's jump over to probably the most exciting camp that anyone could go to. You already mentioned about their uh, their attendance records. You went to Cubs camp. Now, um, did you have to be restrained from Addison Russell or? or- did you, did you keep it clean over there? Because I know I'd have to be. I'm not throwing. I'm not throwing shade. I would have had to. I'd have been kicked out. And said, "Listen, Spore, you can't be in here, man." He, Addison Russell. This is his place of business. You need to relax. And I wouldn't have been able to. I made a beeline. You know, a, just a beeline for him when he walked in, and he, he almost sort of looked up and was like, "Oh, dude." Oh no! Oh no! Is this is this Jared Saltamaki coming? Oh no! It's it's enough. okay. So I, I, uh, I definitely uh, was on his jock, and we had a great conversation. I think it will turn into a good post, but you know, I think um, the the takeaway was uh, I noticed that he's swinging less on pitches down off the plate and in off the plate. So it was great to talk to him about that because he basically just said those are holes in my swing, and I basically stopped swing at those pitches stop giving up giving that to the pitchers yeah and i was like yes you know like yes that's how players get better you know that's that's a believable change that means something that could be more than you even see in the projections Mm -hmm. and and more than you know and i think and i talked to him about you know what that if that was a parallel to the minor league levels, because every time in a minor league level, he would sort of strike out a little bit much at first and then, you know, adjust and, and and get better as the year went on. And he wasn't quite sure of that characterization. He was kind of like, yeah, in high A, I had to adjust, but then I was pretty good in double A and triple A. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that, that's true. He, def- he definitely was. He didn't. He didn't underperform there, but you could definitely it did seem he was kind of getting that rap of a guy who uh, might struggle initially. But you give him some actual playing time at whatever level it is, and he'll get better. And I just think people are kind of sleeping on Addison Russell. Not so much anymore. He's having a nice spring. He's already got popped a couple of homers, and that's drawing attention. I think that we're kind of pumping him up as well. And and watching his ADP rise, I think I've already said that I feel like he could be this year's Chris Bryant or Nolan Arenado in terms of really jumping up draft boards as spring training goes on and not necessarily because of spring training, just because people are kind of paying more attention. They're doing their studies and they're realizing that he's somebody who could really jump a couple levels. And I understand that the big concern with Addison Russell is where he bats in that order. I totally get that. But at the same time, if he plays how you and I believe he can play, I think that that will kind of work itself out. I think he can move up the lineup. Um, And even if he doesn't, you know, I know that that hurts the County numbers, but I'm looking at somebody who can who can deliver quite a bit of power from the shortstop or second base position and actually has some speed as well. You know, not a ton. He's four for seven last year. It's not great. He has shown some running capability in the minor leagues, earlier minor leagues. But again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think that as he kind of learns how to best pick his spots, he's not going to be, you know, even a 20 plus guy. But if you get those 11, 13 sort of numbers to go with 15 to 18 homers, 
and a 275 average, that's really good, even if the county numbers aren't all that great out of short, uh, out of a guy who's a shortstop second baseman. So I really love Addison Russell. And, then, and I think that key that was the last thing you said, the 275 batting average, he's not projected from that from even the fans, but I don't think it's an unreasonable thing to say because we're talking about a guy who has taken his biggest holes and, and, and is not going to swing at them anymore. And he knows about that going into the season now. And he said, you know, maybe if I'm going really well, this is also the source. I thought that was a really interesting thing for him to say. If I'm going really well, maybe I'll swing at that. It, it, there's, a, there's a concept of when you think you're very strong at something, you take more risks. And it, I think it actually describes a, a flaw of mine when it comes to uh, drafting and, and thinking about fantasy baseball. Is I think I'm so strong at, at taking starting pitching that I start to take more risks. Yes, we both. I think you know? we both definitely do that. And that takes away from my ability to be strong on starting pitching. So what happens? I what what could happen with Addison Russell that would keep him in this sort of twenty five percent strikeout rate area is that he gets going well and then he starts swinging at those pitches because he's going well and then he starts striking out again. However, he seemed to kind of uh, he seemed to kind of. Uh, uh, be aware of it in a way that I kind of believe that he, you know, it has to be a certain kind of pitch that he anticipates more than, you know, more his pitch than their pitch, you know? That so I like, really like what he's talking about. I think he could strike out. I mean, in double A AA and triple A, he struck out 15. I mean, the triple A was 46 plate appearances, but you add those two together, you get 300, 250 plate appearances, which is something that you would call stabilized. And you, you get basically a 16% strikeout rate. So I think he could strike out 20% of the time, and that's 4% less than the best projection for him. Yeah, so if that'd he struck be huge. out 20% of the time, and then he, I think he could even walk like 9% of the time. He's already at average. He had an 8% walk rate last yeah. year. If Addison As Russell a, is up at 9 or 10%, that would— 21-year-old. He was the second youngest guy in baseball last year. So, so good. So I think, you know, this, I don't know if it's this year or next year. That's a little bit, that's why it's a little bit better of a keeper situation than, than totally, a redraft. Totally. But he could go, if he goes to 10% walk rate, 20% strikeout rate, you know, then he's going to have like a 340 OBP. Even if he doesn't steal a ton, that just means more times on bases to probably to two steal. And it, you know, just means good, good things for his batting average and, and steal total. So in general, I think that's going to be good for him. And then on top of that, people are talking about how he's going to bat ninth. I didn't ask him about this just because I asked Joe Madden about it last year. And Joe Madden said, you don't debut a guy in the eighth spot because he gets all sorts of fake walks that aren't real. And I don't want to do that to a player. I remember well, you mentioning that last year. It's such a great point by Madden. Well, Russell's not a friggin' rookie anymore. So I think we're going to see him... I mean, the Cubs lineup is a little stacked. So let's, before I talk out of turn and give him a, a better position, I don't necessarily think he'll be in the top two or three. No. But uh, I think, let's say he's a better hitter than, well, it's such a stacked lineup. No, it, he's it a better really hitter is. than Miguel Montero. He is. Sure. And um, I don't so think that's... it's impossible to see him being better than Schwarber this year. I know, see, I'm kind of lower on Schwarber well, than others. Schwarber's not going to be in the lineup every day. So when Soler is in the lineup, then I think Russell could bat as high up as, as six. Agreed. But even, you know, with, uh, with Soler, with Schwarber in the lineup, I think that it's a lot more. And, and it is interesting to wonder what they're going to do with Fowler, but he's probably going to be at the top of the lineup. But I think that he could hit seventh. And they put him at Miguel Montero eight, and that's not necessarily a great boon for his plate appearances, but it is, you know, not ninth. And I don't uh, want to project. I don't really like projecting injury. It's, it's kind of grim to do that. But Ben Zobrist is also thirty-five years old, so right. I'm just saying. And, and and if anything happened there where he had a stint, you know, even if it was just like twenty, thirty games where he had to be on the shelf. Uh, Addison Russell, if he's doing what we believe he could do, could easily fit in that two hole perfectly. He'd be great. So I think there's just, you know, don't don't get too hung up on the, on that lineup spot on a guy whose best we haven't seen yet. I, I understand factoring it in, you know, maybe taking a buck off the projection if you if you want to do that. But I'm going to buy this this skill set here and kind of let it play out because he's so good. Was there anything else that you learned at Cubs camp before we jump on to the other camp? Yeah, Kyle Hendricks said that he actually knew the um, he, he actually had the cut change, the weird cut change up that he has mm -hmm. first and that they had to teach him 
the uh, they had to teach him the regular changeup. Oh wow! So that I thought that was interesting. That he is also interesting. Said, he also said he's working on the curveball, and he doesn't think it's going to be an amazing pitch. But he he's talking about stealing strikes with it and uh, and getting some grounders and and just sort of using the curve a little bit more. That could be big, I think. I mean, even with the cut change and the change change, the I think he could use another pitch. So even a, some few stolen strikes on the curveball can offset some of the lost called strikes that he that he benefited from last year. So uh, I, I, you know, after talking to him, I people know that I love Adam Warren, but I can love Adam Warren and still think Kyle Hendricks is going to be the starter there. Yeah, I was gonna. That was gonna be my next question. And so I, I just believe that in him. Jason Hamill gets hurt all the time. Like you said, it's a, it's a grim truth. Jason Hamill gets hurt all the time. And I, I just see Adam Warren as, uh, as throwing like 100 innings, 120 innings, 130. And, and it's so perfect if he does and if they use him as a multi-inning reliever. I kind of want him to win the job too because I'm a big Adam Warren honk as well. We both like him on this show. But at the same time, it, 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 he could be just perfect as a swingman, multi-inning reliever, spot start here and there, and and just be that 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 swingman beast. Uh, if they really want to commit to doing that with Adam Warren, while Kyle Hendricks fills the five spot, but again, nothing set in stone. It makes it, it makes it a little bit hard to own him in fantasy, but you know they take Jason Hamill out in the fourth inning a lot, so you know uh, I think Warren might steal some some. Uh, wins there mm-hmm. and I think he's going to be a real deep league asset and I think at some point in the season he's going to be a full-time starter and that's going to that's going to be a good time to acquire him in redraft leagues totally agree there so keep an eye on that fifth fifth starter fight between those two let's jump over to Reds camp and then we'll, we'll finish up talking about your top mix team this is an interesting club because they've got so many young players and it's one of those teams that is going to be on the downswing this year, so they can stay kind of committed to these guys, you know, like your Scott Sheblers, maybe your Adam Duvall's. Neither of those are particularly young, but those are guys that they could play. Uh, but what did you learn over in Reds camp? I did talk to Adam Duvall, and I asked him some some stuff for my spring training story, but also just asked him what he's working on, like how is he thinking about this, and um you know, just uh, what what he's doing this this spring and what he did in the offseason. He basically said he's working on spraying the ball to all his fields and he worked on his outfield defense because he sort of came up as a first baseman, third baseman with the with the San Francisco Giants. Kind of as a DH, if we're being honest. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and I, so I thought that was good. That'll, that'll help him stay out there. I think that he has a decent floor for deep leagues as, um, you know, worst case scenario versus lefties masher, but... You know, he's been able to really mash even against righties for a long time. He's, he's punch. He's kind of, in a way, one of these Cardinals-type players where he's in his peak right now. So this is the time to use him. And, you know, you could say, oh, well, he's old, agent level, that stuff. But, you know, I think they could find another uh, – who was the who was the red outfielder that, that debuted old? And uh, uh, corner outfielder. Uh, Ryan Ludwig? Yeah, exactly. I think they could find another Ludwig situation here. I think that's a great uh, term that you gave for the Cardinals because, you know, these guys like a Tommy Pham could be that this year where, you know, he was never lighting up any sort of prospect list, but all of a sudden he might get a chance here and could turn it into something. You know, Matt Carpenter and Matt Adams, obviously Matt, Matt Carpenter became like a, star matt adams has has stuck around as one of those guys so i I like that description of these mid-20s guys who didn't necessarily burn up prospect lists but they do have real talent adam duvall has some punch he's going to be in that park and if they're giving him the playing time he could be a nice cheap power source for you for sure anything else at reds camp yeah uh, i i I did what i call the annual vado (laughs) (laughs) so uh checked in with him he said some things that blew my mind. I, I uh, you guys, I love you guys, so I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you a little preview of it. I haven't fact-checked him on these, so we'll have to see. But he said that early last year, he just uh, started trying to pull the ball more for easy home runs. And when he said that, I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You're Joey Votto. What did you do? I'm just going to get some so easy I home runs to... right here. Hang on, guys. I'm just going to go get some easy yeah. home runs. <laughs> But on top of that, he said it didn't work, and he's just like, it's just not me. 
And uh, so I thought that was something that came up in our panel a little bit about, you know, trying to change Joey Votto from who he is and, you know, finding a tweak that my uh, finding a tweak that makes you a better player, but within yourself, I think is the key. And that's, that's a hard thing to define. It's kind of nebulous, but for Joey Votto, it means making sure his spray chart is in a certain way and working on the inside pitch. I think that's what it was. He wouldn't let me put those words in his mouth and he didn't quite let me go that far. But I mean, he talked last year about taking the inside pitch over the shortstop. And then he told me just now about taking the, trying to pull the inside pitch for easy home runs. So the two of those things make me think that he's got a swing that's designed for the outside part of the plate. He takes it the outside, he takes it, you know, to, to center field, you know, straight center field. And he's kind of an oppo guy. So basically he's, he's all set on the outside part of the plate and pitchers are trying to crowd him. Even Downs Braden said, I'm going to try and crowd him. That's when someone said, how do you pitch Joey Votto? So yeah, I think people are trying to hit him on the inside and he's coming up with these different ways to deal with it. It, you know, pulling the ball didn't work so well, but even taking that, you know, duck snorting that inside pitch over the shortstop, I think is, is, is uh, something that worked for him a little bit better. And um, so that's, that's an interesting thing. Now I was also asked him about uh, comps or, or guys that he looked, uh, guys in the game that he'd look to for guidance and mm-hmm. things that he's taken from other players. <laughs> he was like, Martin Prado. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> and apparently... Uh, Martin Prado didn't swing at a first pitch for three months at some point. He said he was just watching Martin Prado at bats. So um, uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. No, that, so, I, I, I can definitely. There a couple other players he talked about that were like, oh, yeah, duh. So um, anyway, that was that was fun. Uh, checked in with my man, Di Sclafani. Uh, it, it's funny that that I call him that and that, that I've, you know, that I've sort of put my stamp on him for this year. Because our interviews aren't that great. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't call him a lug nut, but uh, you know, he's he's not the uh, the most verbose guy, and we just, you know, I just check in with him anyway because you know I think he's got something going. But I talked to him about his curveball, and he's like, "Yeah, I was really spinning that in there. I felt really good about the curveball late last year." And when I said you like you had uh, two months that were you know sort of top 20 top 15 type months he he nodded like he I, and it's and that's without the sort of you know one one oh oh type era that you think that a pitcher would would be focused on you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i actually like that he knew that he was really striking everybody out and not walking them and that that was sort of the key of it without Stills were there without necessarily saying you know those words to me he was saying yeah, yeah. The last two months last year, I felt really good. The, the curveball was spinning in there. And what I'm working on this spring is, is actually doing, uh, using the changeup a little differently and, uh, and, and still thinking about the changeup. But now it's my fourth pitch, and that makes all the difference. So I think, he, I think he's, I think in a lot of ways too, because Rysel Iglesias is getting more, more expensive every day. I, I think that um, that you know he really is. By the way, Iglesias. I mean, just, yeah, Discofani is is provides more value with respect to draft. Exactly. Draft right I now. mean, when you compare the two, you got to go with Discofani at this point. I love Iglesias and I understand the upside, but I can't pay the fortieth pitcher off the board. Meanwhile, sixty seventh pitcher for Discofani. You got, I'm going to sign up for that all day between those two because I just don't see that there's a 125-pick gap between those two, uh, but that's what exists in drafts currently with regard to Descalfani versus Iglesias. And by the way, I know some of you probably eye-roll when we really get going on Votto because of how much we love him, but uh, you know, on, I can honestly say even with our just affection for Votto and what he does, he's still one of the best values in fantasy. He's the 36th player off the board. And I really think that that's a great price. I understand, you know, there's some concerns about his RBI and uh, runs totals because of that team. But he scored 95 runs last year, and they weren't that good last year. I know they had Todd Frazier, which uh, it was definitely better than anything they've got surrounding him this year. But I, even if it's 80-80, you take the pop. He, he does offer a handful of steals. It was 11 last year. He's been double digits before. The average is great. Obviously, at OBP leagues, he shoots up. I just don't see 
why you wouldn't want Joey Votto on your team. But enough about that. I know we talk about him all the time. He's just great. That's just a simple fact. But Descofani of the Reds pitchers, when you're talking about which one you want, I think that's the one you want to go for based on price. Price to upside, because I honestly feel like Rysel Iglesias is probably going to disappoint this year with how much he's costing. I'd love to be wrong, but it's hard to see a scenario. At this point, the way people are drafting Rysel Iglesias, he has to perform. There's no real margin for error for him because of the price that you're paying. So, uh, transition air horn, transition air horn. Anthony Discafani, 15th round pick to Adam Ronis, who knew that I was going to take him. Had to know you were eyeing him. Yeah, and and it, he took him like three round three picks before I took Joe Ross, which actually I'm not uh, complaining about. I I think Joe Ross is, basically is his brother. Rice Iglesias in the tenth round, two picks after Stephen Matz and before noted luminaries such as Drew Smiley and Yu Darvish, although you know the hurt Yu Darvish. Um, and in uh, and before James Shields, which we talk about, James Shields and Wei and Chen as sort of the old guys that end up that tier. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he's taken he's been taken as uh, a, la- a late tier three, which or two, which I-, I like. But in the tenth round, I mean, I took Marcus Simeon. I needed a shortstop, and I felt really good about it. I might have taken Iglesias there, but I- he wasn't really on my radar. I needed to make sure because of the way I drafted. And this is, uh, this is I, I think I should, I'm starting, I'm, I, I buried the lead. The, the thing that I, the way I drafted, we, we talked about in, in the, uh, the podcast that I would sort of think about positions and not want to take Anthony Rizzo with the fifth pick because there would be another first baseman available to me in the second round. Mm-hmm. And instead of thinking, instead of thinking like that, in the meantime, I saw a piece by, uh, Rudy Gamble, and then we had a we had uh, on Rasball, and we had a, a retort from Mike Podhorzer about it. They've been going at each other for a while about position scarcity, and I think they both make really great points. And it's almost too much to really to digest here in full. But I think something stood out, and that was that the um, the position penalty for middle infielders in in twelve and 15-team leagues is maybe overvalued, I think, okay. by some of our calculators and by some of the thinking that we're doing. And that the sort of 15th, and especially I don't want the 15th best. So, um, you know, ha- and teams always have holes, especially the deeper you go, teams always have holes. So you have to pick a hole, right? This is a 15-team league, by the way. You just said pick a hole. I'm a child, sorry. 15-team um, <laughs> league. Even if it's mixed, you're still going to have some – you can't build a perfect roster. Right. So basically going into this, I said, screw it. I'm taking Rizzo, Abreu, Rizzo, and Carnacion. I'm taking two big old sluggers. And I like the fact that Rizzo's going to add some stolen bases. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to predict another 11 or whatever. But I'm, I like that he's going to add – you know, or he's still 17 or something crazy last year. But anyway, I'm not going to predict those numbers. I'm just going to – know that he's a non-zero there. And then I think that Jose Abreu is just an amazing hitter that knows what he's doing and has adjusted multiple times and been two different kinds of guys totally agree. Uh, over his career. So I think, you know, that's a good sign. That's a guy who can adapt and, and be useful no matter what. So I didn't get Edwin. He went in the first round. Um, and, you know, I think that some of the on-roto rankings were screwing with what happened. Okay, the, the the default. By the way, that's a great point to mention. Know what site you're playing on, and you should probably go in and check the pre-rankings because it can give you some values, but it can also make you boost some guys up if you want to get them because they could be sitting at the top of the queue, you know, at a time where you're like, no, he's not supposed to go yet, but you know, on Roto's default or Yahoo's default has him up there and might cause you to raise your price. So you really need to do that preparation for your online drafts and have an idea of what those defaults look like. Because again, you could lose some guys or you could forget about them if they're buried in the rankings. That's a great point, um, you know. If I made a mistake, the third round is an interesting one. I just had Jason Hayward as worth a ton of money in this league because it's an OBP league. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that he gave me some steals with the power. He's basically a five category guy. So, you know, uh, 
a five tool, five category guy. I mean, if I think I, you, the hit tool is maybe the little bit uh, riskiest in terms of scouting, but I think that he's got that hit tool and, you know, this is one of the better parks he's, he's ever played in. So great lineup too. And he's going to be you know, near the top of it. You got two guys in the heart of one of, if not the best lineup, by the way, you went all Chicago with your first three picks and yet another run later where you went well, three Yankees in a row. Yeah, that was weird, but I actually sort of noticed that, but I, I'm not, I don't care. I mean, it's not a head to head league and it's fine. They're, they're good stats, good players and good ballparks. But, you know, I think just going back really quickly to Jason Hayward, I, I think the third round is a little bit iffy on bats. I mean, if you look at the bats here, I think most of them are reaches actually. Agreed. Carlos Gomez, a bit of a reach in the third round. You you have to bet on the bounce back. Lorenzo Kane, uh, a big regression candidate. Um, and then Miguel Sano, Robinson Cano, Matt Carpenter. I mean, those bats do not scream. That screams to me, take a pitcher. And yeah, so, and look at the pitchers that they were taken with. If you just did dollar values of all those players, those hitters yeah. are probably the lowest in the whole round with Chris Sale, Madison Bumgarner, Fernandez, Matt Harvey, Kluber, Price, Jake Arrieta, Steven Strasburg, and Carlos Carrasco. If you so just you're, you're basically lining up why I felt like maybe it was a mistake, right? Mm -hmm. So even my Jason Hayward pick might fit in those bats and be like, maybe that's a reach. What happened was I was fixated on Scherzer and Sale because I have Scherzer, Sale, and if there is a mini tier at the top, I have Scherzer, Sale, and, and Kershaw as definitively different from the rest of the top guys. So I was like, okay, Scherzer and Sale are on the board. There's you know five picks to go to me. I'm going to get one of these guys. Rudy Gamble the took Scherzer Rudy. and Sale in two straight picks on the turn, second and third. To go and with I Trout. What a and trio. I was, I was left holding my something in my hand. So, <laughs> uh, when I did that, I said, okay, I'm going in the complete other direction. I don't see any difference in the next 10 pitchers. And I'm just going to bet that one of these 10 pitchers that I like is going to be available to me in the third round, in the fourth round. And, and I think it's true because I got Jacob deGrom. And, and I'll put Jacob deGrom against Matt Harvey, Jose Fernandez, Madison Bumgarner, David Price. I'll put him right in there. Bingo. No, so I, I didn't. I, once that happened, I didn't feel like the Hayward uh, choice was that much of a, a reach or a mistake. And, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't sad about it in any way. I mean, when it happened, a couple people said, you know, like, oh, well, Jason Hayward. I, but um, I don't know why they would say that, though. You're talking about an, uh, an OBP league for a guy who does the power and the speed. I know the power is not at the level that we've been expecting for years. And I'm a Jason Hayward honk, so let me get that out there before, uh, you know, before we go, go any further. But even if he does his, you know, 11, 13 homer totals that he's been doing the last couple of years, if it comes with 20-plus stolen bases and he's closer to the 293 average, of 2015 than the 271 of 2014. I mean, that's a great player. You know, he was $21 in, in 2014, $27 last year, only $10 in 2013, but then $26 in 2012. So three of the last four years, Jason Hayward's been a $20 or better player. By the way, I mentioned average. It's OBP. So don't even worry about the average. The OBP is going to be there, and those dollar values are probably higher. I just remembered that. So the fact that you still got DeGrom, if you'd, if you'd been stuck with a pitcher that you didn't really like and, you know, they just went on a crazy tear of pitchers. Which they went, almost did. <laughs> they almost, I mean, I named all My those that had, were in there. And My then, tier had two pitchers left on it. You so know, it, there it, was a the moment that I was a little worried. If, if you were stuck looking at, at, at Wainwright and, and Sonny Gray as your top, you might feel a little bit worse about that because they don't have kind of the complete game with the strikeouts, but you still got a total stud, honestly. And then you went fifth round Yasiel Puig. Your first five rounds, I mean, you're you're loaded up right there with everybody else. I love Cody Allen. I mentioned you went three New Yorker, uh, New York Yankees in a row. Then McCann, Tanaka, Gardner, all good values. I don't know. I I, I really like what you did with your team here. I thought I thought that you've come away with a team that's ready to compete. I think you got a lot of star power. I love your OBP. I mean, it's through the roof. It is through the well, roof. Well, and that, uh, just uh, real quick, the the last two pitchers in my tier were Noah Syndergaard and Felix Hernandez. I have Keiko starting the second tier. And I could have actually waited till the fifth round uh, because uh, Felix Hernandez went in the middle of the fifth round. So I think Felix Hernandez actually represents a little bit of a arbitrage opportunity here. Fully. I think some people will have Felix Hernandez as their second pitcher this year. 
And that's sort of a ridiculous thing to say. No, so. it's it's really great. I honestly do think that that his his demise really does boil down to a couple bad starts. You can't just cherry pick and pretend they don't count. I understand that, but it's just different if he'd struggled a lot more consistently to get to that three whatever ERA that he had. But if you take out those two god awful starts, the one in Boston and then I think the other one was in Houston, it's like 18 runs in three innings of work. If you remove those, he's at a 276 ERA, which is vintage Felix. So do you think he's going to have two historically bad starts again? Or do you think he's going to pitch more like the Felix that we've seen throughout most of last year and then the rest of his career? I happen to think it's the latter. So I'm, I'm sticking with Felix. I totally agree with you. Within regards to those upper tiers of pitching, he does represent a value. And I'm willing to to take that bet on, on Felix Hernandez. Yeah, so I, I, you know, that was interesting to me. I could have maybe uh, gone to Grom Felix after, you know, waiting on, on, on pitching. So that, uh, you know, over Yasiel Puig is something to be said for that. Except that my other thing that I wanted to do was collect stolen bases here and there uh, near the top uh, with power. So that's why I have Hayward, Puig, Brett Gardner, and Alex Gordon. Uh, and even Kevin Kiermaier as mm-hmm. my outfield mm-hmm. because those guys are all going to hit more than 10 homers. Eddie Rosario. And, and even Eddie Rosario probably hit more than 10 homers and steal more than 10 bases for a lot of those. Maybe Gordon doesn't get there, but he's going to get me, you know, six or seven, I think. So um, that's that was my other strategy. And then by loading up on OBP early, I mean uh, Rizzo and Hayward and Puig even and Gardner and Gordon. And Gordon, getting Gordon where I did – Felt really great because especially in an OBP league, I thought he would get bumped up a little bit more. And no, you got him in the thirteenth round. Again, I, I like getting in that that quality lineup with somebody who John Zagura went in the same round, dude. And Alex Gordon for me was an eighteen dollar player in my in the calculator that I ran. So in the thirteenth round, you're getting an eighteen dollar guy. He was by far and away the most valuable player left on that. Although Rudy Gamble's Chris Davis w- was okay. sort of – those are the two – yeah, those are the two guys I was looking at. Uh, but he took Chris Davis from me. So I, I was happy to get Alex Gordon there. And I think it really actually did a lot for my team in terms of uh, giving me another late uh, OBP boost. And that really allowed me to do whatever the F I wanted at the last positions. I didn't have to care about Cesar Hernandez's OBP. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to think that – I don't have to wonder if Pablo Sandoval is going to get back to 340 or whatever. I just need him to hit 18 homers. I don't even care how he, how he gets there, you know. And Eddie Rosario, his biggest weakness now becomes – a and Kiermaier, those two guys are just guys that fit in. Um, and, and in the that... meantime, I, I fit in, I actually, you know, my, my pitching staff ended up pretty good with DeGrom, Tanaka, Joe Ross, Aaron Nola, Andrew Cash, and Nadia Valdi. And then I, I love my bench. It's like John Lamb and just a bunch of guys. So, uh, the guys that I love. So, and then I got three closers, which I never do. I got Cody Allen, Glenn Perkins, and David Hernandez. I know there's some risk in those second two guys, especially health risk with Perkins, but won't he at least start the season healthy? Of course. And give, me, and give me three guys. And I got Sam Dyson on my bench who I, Ooh, I feel UC like I'm taking, has taken crazy the Texas job. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills on Sam Dyson. Like I'm the only one that's out of there on that one. But I, you know, I feel like he is the closer. <laughs> he, could, he could be one of those. Um, yeah, I talk about this with like Papelbon and Papelbon because of his attitude. Andre Ethier because of his contract. There's sometimes there's guys in fantasy that a quote unquote real life thing seems to impact their fantasy value when it has no bearing on it. Like I can't stand Pavel Bon as, as, as a dude, but he's still a really good closer. He's going to be on a really good team. Um, Andre Ethier's contract doesn't really matter to us because if anything, it helps because they do want to play him because they are paying him so much. I think because Sam Dyson was against the greatest bat flip in the history of the world, maybe some people are like, screw that guy. I'm not going to take him. Sean Tolleson all the way. But, uh, I don't. I, I think that that Texas situation is a little bit more open, and you've got him handicapped. You know, some people also like Keona Kayla a little bit more as well. But I, I don't know that you can make a definitive outside of Tolleson, who did the job last year. The rest of that group, it's it's just highly skilled guys, and and it's the playoffs happened, man. Do you guys like Sam Dyson was the closer in the playoffs? He was great. He, yeah. I mean, and honestly, he was a huge reason. That And I know it's only 31 innings, so I don't want to overstate it, but he was a huge reason that Texas really got going. When they solidified the bullpen, that's when they took off because it's not like that starting rotation was all that great. 
and and it won't be this year. Um, he's, he's Zach Britton from the right side. He's got the same pitch as Zach Britton. He's got the velocity you expect from a, a closer. He's only got about average strikeout rate for a closer. But so far, with a seventy percent ground ball rate last year, sixty nine, nice. You know, it's like uh, I think he's the guy. So I felt good about getting him for my reserve rounds. And and so when we talk about picking your holes, uh, my hole because it's not catcher. Brian McCann, Yasmani Grandal feels pretty good. Um, are you kidding me? That's amazing, particularly yeah. in an OBP league. I, I wanted to hit on that. I thought you did an amazing job at catcher with the power OBP guys. Again, you're just loaded in OBP. And the point that you mentioned about how it freed you up at the end, this is a mistake that I make sometimes in OBP leagues. I focus on the OBP throughout the entire draft. I got to back off later in the draft and take gambles because you don't need a 400 team OBP. And I feel like sometimes right. maybe I try to build that yeah. and it's kind of ridiculous, especially since I always take Votto. I need to open up a little bit more and say, okay, I'll take a Kiermaier. I know he's at a 298 OBP and he's probably going to play every day. And so that's going to be a dent. But the, the, the base that you built up from Rizzo to, to Gordon in your first 13 rounds, obviously they're not all 13 uh, hitters, but I think that that base that you built up really afforded you the opportunity to do exactly what you did. And so you executed brilliantly by addressing steals with Cesar Hernandez and, and Kiermaier and power speed with like a Rosario. Trey Turner, if he can get some playing time, could be a speed monster for you. So, no, I, I really like the way that you did that. And I noticed it when you were doing it in the draft. And I was like, yep, that's exactly what I've been talking about myself needing to be able to do. Yeah, and so my hole is obviously the middle infield. Uh, but we've talked about why I like Marcus Simeon and, um, you know, hit a homer in spring. That's not why I like him, but, uh, actually, you know. no, you said that you texted me. I'll show everybody the text. You said he hit a homer in spring. <laughs> I moved him up my board. He's now ahead of Xander Bogarts for me. That's just what you said, dude. I'm, I'm just doing, I'm giving, but the anyway, I felt good about getting him late. I don't think he's anywhere near the 15th shortstop. So even though I waited really long, I have him as a top 10 shortstop. So that's, that's a good value for where I got him. And then, um, you know, second base, Cesar Hernandez, I think, is just being overlooked by a lot of people. He's the perfect bad team uh, second baseman where I think he, you know, we have him projected for like 19 steals. I don't see why he doesn't steal like 30 because, you know, that team doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, well, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't he just run wild? Like, who, yeah. who, who's, who's in line to even push him, too? I can't, I can't think of, of guys no, nobody who would that's push. ready. I mean, most of their best prospects are outfielders, so... Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think that Cesar Hernandez is, is a fine guy. I mean, he had a 340 OBP last year. Of course, it was built on a big Babbitt, but he has a 343 career Babbitt. So we don't know yet that he's not a guy. And even his projections have him with a, a 320 to 330 uh, a Babbitt, mostly because he's going to push it with the legs. So I don't know why our depth charts, our depth charts have him at 434 uh, plate appearances. I don't see who's and, taking the playing time. Andres Blanco? Yeah, and Andres Blanco was like a 35-year-old, you know. That's what I'm saying. He's Babbitt. 32. Sorry. Yeah. But, but, he, but he's, he's just a journeyman <laughs> utility infielder. He just had a good year. I don't think he's necessarily going to push uh, push Cesar Hernandez at second as much as our depth charts have him. So, yeah, I think Hernandez, they're going to give him another chance. And basically, I think what you're doing, if you're the Phillies, uh, for the full year, you're saying, can you get better with the glove? Mm -hmm. Because it's projections of the glove are not good last year he was scratch if he's a scratch second baseman with uh, an average uh walk rate which is what it looks like he can do and he can keep those the strikeout gains he had last year all of a sudden you're talking about an average player that's under control team control for a long time so that's definitely something that's going to stick around and he stole 19 against five uh, caught stealings and 450 plate appearances i'm predicting more like a 600 plate appearance season which would go to like sort of a 30 stolen base thing. So uh, even if he just sort of repeats last year with the 20 stolen bases and, you know, yes, I picked Trey Turner as my, my starting middle infielder. That's a problem. He's not a starter yet, but I backed that up in the reserve rounds and now I need to find it just to make sure. I'll tell I've you got who it was. You got Javier Baez, Jake Lamb, Jimmy, Jimmy Rollins is, is Jimmy Rollins. and you can just put him in, and you know maybe he doesn't last all year, but you're you're honestly, it's almost like a half and half situation. You'd be fine just using Rollins until June, and then if Turner can can take the job yeah. or something happens, then you just put Turner in. So again, you don't always have to plan for the full season. You can plan f for chunks. 
And with somebody like Rollins, hey, put him in there right away. He's a, he's going to play immediately, and then we'll see how good it is. Um, and you might end up using him most of the year if he's okay, Jimmy Rollins. But if not, Turner's somebody who could jump up and be a huge steals asset for you. He's a super fast guy. Yeah, so – uh, and just, I, I hear from, from Chicago camp that, and this is not enough for me to bump Jimmy Rollins, but it is enough for me to say, maybe Jimmy Rollins can get me to trade Turner or Javier Baez is that uh, Jimmy Rollins is impressing everybody as a guy who basically it is a minor league deal. He's guaranteed 2.5 million when he gets in, but it's a minor league deal. So this is really sort of impressive to have a late thirties guy come into a team like this and show them all that he's happy to battle for this job and he's a happy guy and, you know, he's going to be a good clubhouse guy for them. So, you know, just go in there and maybe have like a 300 OBP and hit me, you know, I need like 10 homers. Basically, I need like 10, 15 homers and 15 stolen bases from that MI slot uh, as far as I'm, because I think that built the rest of the team so strong around it. So basically, I'm hoping to get, you know, the pace for 15 homers from Jimmy Rollins and then the pace for 15 to 20 stolen bases from Turner later. And then Baez is just a shot in the dark who can maybe play anywhere for me uh, if he if he gets in. So um, as much as I've never really liked Javier Baez, he has plus plus bat speed. And if he can do anything on the contact, then then he's in. And, and those pitchers I was saying that I liked Jesse Hahn, Sam Dyson, John Lamb. Uh, I love those guys, especially as reserves. I, I went with Kashner and Eovaldi last, and those were like, I sort of was like, well, they have great velocity, and if they figure anything out, they're in good situations. And we saw Eovaldi's new splitter last year. So anytime that you have a hole, use your reserve rounds as much as you can to build up quantity in those holes. That's why I have Han and Lamb. Uh, you know, Rollins behind, and Lamb. Well, Rollins and Baez. Uh, behind Trey Turner and uh, oh yeah, yeah. okay, Khan and John Lamb behind uh, Eovaldi and yes. Cash. So yeah, no, and yeah. that that's the perfect way to do it. You have to leverage your reserve bench. Not so. I think a lot of times people just draft the best talent, and that's not necessarily awful if they, if there are particularly good guys. But in a league this deep, I think you just you have to assess your weaknesses and address them. I think at least one of Kashner or Eovaldi will pop for you uh, in a positive way. But if not, you do have nice backups there. I think you, I think your crew is really strong. It's obviously going to uh, you know depend on in-season management. This league is very tough. I was in this league. I've upgraded to uh, tout head-to-head. So I'll be, I'll be in the head-to-head league next weekend in New York City. I'm very excited about that. But, you know, I think you got a good crew here. Uh, really good base for OBP. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you end up trading a bopper at some point to address a weakness. But honestly, if things pan out the way uh, that, you, that you hope, you might not have to make too many trades. You can maybe just work the waiver wire and and build the team that way. So uh, I'm, de- I'm definitely going to buy. I think I'm definitely going to buy a closer at some point with a lot of money on on waiver wires because David Hernandez already has a sort of injury issue mm-hmm. and and Andrew and, Bailey's getting getting buzz. Yeah, and somebody could uh, could take that. I don't know if somebody will take that role to begin with, but somebody could take the role of the course of seasons. Not sort of a, a rock solid performance, but. And then Glenn Perkins has had injury issues every year, so who knows when that's finally going to go. So um, I, I love Cody Allen. I, somebody me was too. talking to me about you know too many walks, but since co- the last two years, Cody Allen's been basically league average with the walk percentage. So I'm not really that worried about it. It's, and his he's, strikeouts he's are like so a, good. Yeah, he's a power. He's a power guy. He's a very much Kimbrel-esque. So uh, I, I feel pretty good about that. So we'll see. We'll see how this ends up. You never know, but. Uh, I, I kind of like the idea of in not in only leagues, uh, sort of, you know, letting some of the especially marginal mid mid tier middle infielders go and just, you know, bulk up your whole team. And Yeah, you got you got one that you love in Simeon. And then you said, you know, we've talked about it. this second base pool. You got the two studs at the top, the two speed studs, Altuve and Gordon. And then you've got a big cluster of sameness. I, I guess a Cano's up there by himself. And then a big cluster of sameness. And then another cluster of lower sameness that I think Hernandez is in. And, you know, you're going to get the speed from him. It's just not that different from what some of the other guys going around there are. And in that time when you maybe could have gotten a better name second baseman, you were taking Grandal, 
Gordon. I think Pablo Sandoval in the 14th round is a nice bounce back bet. Joe Ross, who we both like. Aaron Nola, I thought it's a great pickup. Honestly, I kind of like how those two interplay, Joe Ross and Aaron Nola, if you kind of smush them together. Um, they'd, be, they'd be an ace's ace, man. A, a, to- a total stuff. And yeah. <laughs> so and uh, so you're you're putting those skills together. Ross could, could be a, a big strikeout guy and maybe have a little bit of a whip issue uh, in his sophomore year. Meanwhile, Nola, that's probably the one thing he is going to do. He's not going to walk guys. If he doesn't give up too many hits, then the whip should be good. And, you, again, you combine those two. Ross can hopefully get the Ws on Washington. Nola might be a little bit more challenged for that on Philadelphia. That's another huge thing is is the interplay of your pitcher's skills. Yeah, you can just draft the best and, and maybe kind of work it from there, but I think the better way to do it is to is to put the pieces together uh, and actually build a pitching staff that works with each other. Because I liked how you got, you know, Cody Allen. He's that huge strikeout guy. And I'm not saying that uh, it's not like Tanaka isn't, but Tanaka is probably not going to be a 10 strikeout per nine kind of guy at any point to be that super frontline ace. Although I'd, I'd absolutely love Tanaka if he stays healthy. He's really good. But I love getting one of those stud closers, at least one, because of the strikeouts and ratios. And the help that they can give your pitching staff, I think, is underrated outside of the saves, of course. Yeah, yeah. So. All right, you know, I think uh, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. I don't know if you're going to be getting out to a camp today or whatever. What do you got going for the weekend in Arizona? And when do you actually go back home? Hey, it's been a long trip. I, I've been here since last uh, Friday, and I'm, I'm ready to go home, actually. I miss my kids, and it's almost done. But so tonight is that meetup. Tomorrow mm-hmm. I find out if the Joey Votto pants interview is going to be an award-winning piece. I really hope I, it is. I don't know if I'll get to another camp, but I've got all year to talk to players, so I, I feel okay about that. But um, I'm going to go over to the analytics conference now and have some lunch and, and talk to nerds. That, that, that sounds great. Just don't take, don't take goose gossage with you. Uh, we're going to get out of here. I think Jason and I will be back on Sunday. Uh, you and I. Well, so when are you going to get home? So are we going to be back on Monday? Or are we going to plan for Wednesday, Wednesday of next week? I think Monday is probably good. We okay. want to get on the get on the sort of Monday Wednesday schedule as the as people are drafting. It, it would be best for next week particularly because, like I said, I will be in New York uh, next the end of the Friday. Week, yeah. So, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll keep coming. I know. That whenever we have a break, you guys freak out, and I get it. You want a little bit more stability, but as we warned, March going to be a little bit more volatile. But then when we get in April, because we have drafts too, yeah, we have we we've we got our drafts. To move around and, and and take them and go to places. So I, hey, uh, best of luck in your in your tout preparation. Thank you. And uh, in your execution, I'm really excited. Head to head, we'll talk a little bit about it next week for sure. But head to head is going to be a new format. Really excited to tackle it. Really excited to hang out with with all, uh, all the folks in New York. Something I've never been able to do, and actually, kind of my first trip to New York, uh, where I'm actually staying. You know, I've been in New York briefly. I think I've mentioned, but I've never really stayed and had a trip in New York. So it's going to be great. And again, we will talk about that next week. Till then, Eno, have a great time in Arizona. I'll talk to you later. Good luck on on your awards. Thanks for listening. 